It's April 17th, 2020. We're here in New York City, and we are either at the peak or coming out of the peak of this coronavirus pandemic. Now, something that I've been consumed with over the past few weeks is why are certain people so much more seriously impacted by the coronavirus than others? Why does somebody have the sniffles, and why does somebody else pass away? So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about this in the most simplistic way possible. And I'm doing this because in my experience over the past few weeks, uh, my friends, my audience, they don't want to hear anything too detailed. They don't want to read long articles. They basically want somebody to do all, all the work for them. So what I'm going to do is try and do all the work for you. But if you really want a much more detailed answer, if you want to get more information on this topic and put in a much better way than I did, please go listen to Dr. Rhonda Patrick's podcast. Almost everything I'm telling you is coming from that podcast. All I'm doing is is kind of simplifying it and putting it into the speak of our audience. So here's how this is going to be laid out. I'm going to start with the simplest of the simple. We're going to talk about who can get this, uh, who's been exhibiting more severe symptoms. Then we're going to talk about what, like what is actually happening. And once you learn the what, then we'll talk about why those people are being more severely impacted by the coronavirus. And if you can last long enough, maybe you can last the full 15 minutes of listening to that stuff, then we can talk about some, some myths of things that cure it, and then some things that may be actually helping to uh, deal with some of the symptoms. So let's start with the easy stuff. Who are these people that have been shown or have the, or have the potential to have more severe imp uh, impacts from coronavirus? And we'll start with some of the more obvious ones. Here we go. People with chronic diseases, the elderly, people who are obese, people who smoke. Here's where it gets weird. People who live in northern latitudes, people with darker skin, men, people with type A blood. Now, if this is good enough for you, that's it. Shut the podcast off. You're done. Some people are going to want to know, well, why are those people, what, what, what's making them more susceptible to severe impacts from coronavirus? Well, to do that, we actually need to talk about three things. And one of those things is the coronavirus. And another one of those things, and you probably even hear a lot about it, is this ACE2 receptor. Now, the way I like to talk about this, I'm, I'm equating the coronavirus to that face hugger in the movie Alien. You know, that thing that runs on the floor, uh, jumps on somebody's face, and basically implants that xenomorph into the stomach of that human being? Essentially, this coronavirus has no purpose in... It's no purpose other than to stick to something and then spread its virus. It's the same exact thing with that face hugger, right? It's got comes out of that egg from the mother alien, runs onto somebody, jumps on their face, implants that xenomorph in your stomach, and that's it. That's that's that uh, face hugger is done. Well, it's pretty much the same exact thing with the coronavirus. Now, those little sticky spikes coming out of the coronavirus, those are the things that adhere to this ACE2 receptor. So that spike lands on this ACE2 receptor, and then it starts injecting its genetic material, RNA, into the cell that the ACE2 receptor is on. And then, this is where viral reproduction happens. And the virus starts reproducing, and then eventually, the virus bursts through that cell, kind of like if you're watching Aliens, or that dude's holding his stomach and the alien pops out. It, it's kind of like that scenario. Yeah, am I oversimplifying it? Yes, but I'm hoping that it paints the picture of our audience. So the shape of that coronavirus is important. It sticks to the cell, it replicates the virus, and then that virus now bursts out of its cell and then begins to infect other neighboring cells around it. People are asking, well, where are these ACE2 receptors? Well, people have said, studies have shown they're on the tongue, the esophagus, the kidneys, your heart, 
and your lungs. So they found them in these different locations. Now let's talk about this thing that this COVID vi virus is attaching to. Now for me, after all the, the things that I've been looking at, this ACE2 receptor seems to almost be the thing. And as we talk about later, why it impacts certain people more than others, I want you to just keep thinking about this ACE2 receptor. So what is the ACE2 receptor? Well, the ACE2 receptor is actually part of something called, and I'm, this is the, probably the last time I'll use big words, a renin-angiotensin system. I'm going to just call it RAS from this point on. So ACE2 works along with something called ACE. They're both enzymes. And they're supposed to be in balance. Now, their job is to regulate blood pressure, inflammation, and body fluids. And they're supposed to be in balance with each other. Problems occur when they get out of balance with each other. So if you have more ACE2 than ACE, you're, you know, from an immune perspective, you're okay. But if you have less A2 than ACE, now you got problems. What happens when you have less A2 than ACE? You're going to start to have things like hypertension, heart failure, chronic kidney disease, lung injury. Now, there's, this, there's a vicious cycle here, right? Because let's just say that you get lung injury from reduction in ACE2. You have more ACE than ACE2, you get lung injury. Well, that lung injury is going to lead to something called hypoxia. And then hypoxia is going to lead to renal secretion. And then renal secretion is going to do the unthinkable. It's going to even further decrease A2. So essentially, it leads to this vicious cycle. And when you decrease A2, you get even more lung injury. So now, this, we have this vicious cycle that we're talking about. You lose a little a ACE2, it hurts your lungs, and you lose a little more ACE2. Well, what, what does this have to do with coronavirus? Well, we just said, the coronavirus enters through that ACE2 receptor. And when it infects that ACE2 receptor, you actually lose the function of that ACE2 rece uh, receptor. So now, it's actually the thing that is causing this imbalance. It is the decrease of the ACE, the initiation of the decrease of the ACE2 receptor. This is why a lot of people, you know, when they, when they get a severe, uh, I'll say, severe impact from the coronavirus, they get acute respiratory distress syndrome. And it really just starts that vicious cycle all over again. So not only are you losing the ACE2, you're losing the thing that really could help get your body, body back into homeostasis. So that was one of the things. The other thing, and this, is, this has been a little weird, and I've talked about this on other podcasts before, is vitamin D. So in, in this whole game, you've got three things that are important. You've got the virus itself, you've got ACE2, and now we're going to talk about vitamin D. First, we'll take a step back. Vitamin D, it's not a, not, it's not a vitamin, right? It's a steroid hormone. Now, it's usually made in the skin upon UVB exposure from the sun. But, it, you know, especially where we live... We're not getting that much vitamin D. A, it's cold. B, we wear a bunch of lot of we wear a bunch of clothes, so we're not doing a good job of getting enough vitamin D. Now, why is vitamin D important? Well, people with lower vitamin D levels have a weaker immune defense, and vitamin D, and especially Dr. Patrick goes in good detail about this, but it's been shown to protect protect against respiratory tract infections, and they found that people with adequate levels of vitamin D, they have a 50% less chance of having a respiratory tract infection than someone who has the lowest baseline level of vitamin D. All right, cool. We talked about vitamin D. But what does vitamin D have to do with the coronavirus? So what happens with vitamin D, it actually normalizes your ACE2 levels when it starts to get downregulated. Meaning, if I get into a situation where my ACE and ACE2 come out of balance, well now, vitamin D steps in and that 
that actually helps downregulate the expression of renin, the thing we talked about before, the thing that actually leads to uh, a, a reduced activation of A2. And what it's really doing is it's, it's normalizing your ACE2 levels. Now, it doesn't do this normally, but it only does it when that ACE2 goes down. So if ACE2 goes down, you take, you, if you have enough the right vitamin D levels, it's going to bump it back up. It's kind of like you get some air out of your tire, you got enough vitamin D, shoot the air back in, and life is good. All right? Probably oversimplifying the life is good part, but at least if you have the balance level of ACE2 and ACE, now you're not going to have that lung injury, uh, that acute respiratory distress syndrome to the same level that you would have had it. So this is why we're telling our guys that we train, supplement with vitamin D. It's better to supplement a little more with vitamin D during the winter months because we're not in the sun as much, but most people are vitamin D deficient. Now, what is vitamin D deficient? Well, if you uh, if your blood has less than 20 nanograms per milliliter, that's deficient. If it's uh, less than 30 nanograms per milliliter, that's considered insufficient. And it's been actually been shown, again, I'm referring back to Donna, Rhonda, Dr. Rhonda Patrick here, that there have been meta-analyses that show that someone with levels between 40 and 60 nanograms per milliliter have the lowest all-cause all cause mortality. That's pretty sick. So you should be supplementing with vitamin D. The question is, how much? Now look, pre-pandemic, wow, my speech is a little rough today. I would have said go to a doctor, uh, make sure that you figure out what your vitamin D levels are. I'm even going to say that now because I can't accurately tell you how much vitamin D you should take. Just don't take too much. I think they should say that you shouldn't take more than uh, 4,000 IUs a day. I know for me, I take my pill. I think it's, I can't remember what the volume is. Maybe it's 4,000 IUs. I think I take it four times a week. So take vitamin D. It should be D3 plus K2, but take that supplementation. Just don't overdo it. Don't take too much. Now, when this pandemic is over, Definitely get to a nutritionist, see what your vitamin D levels are, and then that nutritionist can help you really figure out the right levels and the right volumes of vitamin D that you should be taking. Okay, so now, remember, we've talked about the who. We've talked about the what, and the things that I want you to take from the what, all right, we'll take them into this part, are ACE2 and vitamin D. And now it's going to make the why very easy. So let's talk about the why. First off, people with chronic diseases. So why are they more likely to have severe uh, symptoms from coronavirus? Well, first of all, people with uh, things like cancer and diabetes, they are at risk of reduced ACE, ACE2 levels. So we talked about it before. If your ACE2 is out of balance with ACE, there comes lung injury, and here comes this vicious cycle. Okay, people who smoke, they are also at risk of reduced ACE, ACE2 levels. Those living in northern latitudes. Now, we, there hasn't been too much to confirm this, but they have less vitamin D because they have less time in the sun. There's less hours of the day. There's less summer months. So those people probably have, in most cases, vitamin D deficiencies. Here's another wacky one. Uh, people with darker skin. So let's talk about melanin for a second. So melanin is responsible for uh, tanning skin exposed to sunlight. It's basically a natural sunscreen, which is protecting people from the damaging effects of UV radiation. Now, with this melanin, there is a decreased synthesis of vitamin D, naturally. So people with darker skin complexions have less synthesis of vitamin D. And one study showed, and again, I'm taking this from Dr. Rhonda Patrick, that Somali immigrants living in Stockholm, Sweden, 
So these are people with darker skin complexions living in the northern latitude. They represented 40% of the coronavirus deaths in Stockholm, Sweden. But they're only 0.84% of the population. So thinking back to this, you know, it's not because you have uh, darker skin. It's because of the vitamin D that you don't have because of the melanin in your skin. Okay, let's go to the next one. The elderly. All right, why them? Well, they also, they have two things, the elderly. They're at risk of lower AC2 levels, and they have the largest deficiency in vitamin D. So it's been said, again, this is a study from Dr. Rhonda Patrick, that a 70-year-old person produces four times less than their 40-year-old self. So a 70-year-old person produces four times less vitamin D than their older self. Okay, let's go to uh, obese people, right? Why would it matter for them? Well, fat-soluble vitamin D has greater difficulty being released, released into the bloodstream. In fact, they have uh, 50% less bioavailable vitamin D compared to non-obese individuals. So, yeah, maybe I'm oversimplifying all this stuff, but you're starting to see a pattern here, right? It's either ACE2 receptor is low, or there's nothing to build that ACE2 receptor back up after it gets low. So let's go to men, right? Why would men be more severely impacted than women? Well... They have a, a risk of lower ACE2 levels. Why? Because uh, ACE2 is, is located on the X chromosome. And women have two X chromosomes. Men don't. So they have more copies of the ACE2 gene. All right, let's go to blood type. This is the one that I think has been, uh, I, to me it was the most wacky, but then you look it up and this, this kind of knowledge has been around for a long time. There has been knowledge that people with type A, A blood, all right, have more severe effects compared to those in non-type A blood. And when I say more severe effects, I don't, even mean, I don't even mean just with the coronavirus. I'm talking about with many other viruses before this. There have been, if you look at blood type versus uh, disease rate, it's, it's weird. There are, I shouldn't say weird. It's scientific that certain blood types relate to certain types of diseases. And also, people with blood type O have less severe effects compared to those with non-blood type O. So what does all this mean? All right, let's talk about what, why would this even matter? <laughs> so blood type, it's a classification of blood based on the absence or presence of antibodies and antigens on the surface of red blood cells. So what is an antibody and what is an antigen? Well, the antigen triggers an immune response. And the antibody targets the antigens. All right, so the antigen triggers this immune response and the antibody targets the antigens. And each antibody is produced to match an antigen. All right, so it's like it's a perfect match. So let's go to people with blood type O. People with blood type O. They pr they have type A antibodies. In fact, they have type A and type B antibodies. People with type A blood just have an antibody of B. All right, people with type B blood just have an antibody of A. If you have AB blood, you have no antibodies. But if you have type A, sorry, type O blood, you have an A antibody and a B antibody. And then what's happening is that A antibody is providing protection by inhibiting the coronavirus interaction with the AC2 receptors, reducing uh, the severity of the coronavirus. So I'm getting winded just talking about this. All right, so it's because of the antibodies of type O blood 
that you know those type A antibodies it's actually providing that protection of those ACE2 receptors so again everything seems to be linking itself back to either the ACE2 receptor or the vitamin D level which will pump that ACE2 receptor level back up and this is why you know if you're if you're a type person with type A blood you're gonna reject reject a transfusion with someone with type B blood right it's because of an immune response the body says up oh, this is not the same thing as me the, the body makes type B antibodies to attack the antigen from the type A blood okay uh, and this is also why type O they're called universal donors alright they can give blood to anyone but they can only receive blood from other type O's okay so now we've talked about so far the who who's the most susceptible the what vitamin D um, ACE receptors and then we talked about the why how do vitamin D and ACE receptors link to each of those people that were most susceptible now let's finish this off with hey aren't there cures out there right aren't there things that are just gonna kill this coronavirus so we're gonna dissect them one at a time uh, in high level but again if you want more information please go listen to Dr. Pat, Pat Rhonda Patrick's uh, podcast here we go the first one saunas so there is no data to suggest it, that a sauna has any direct effect on the coronavirus there are people that said yeah the extreme heat it'll kill it or if you breathe the air in it'll go down your esophagus and just kill the coronavirus that is not true now a sauna absolutely has a very positive impact on your lung health they've showed that people who regularly use saunas have a 40 percent less less likely chance to get pneumonia they also showed that after about three months of consistently using a sauna, you uh, ha you reduce the incidence of the common cold. This is it's it's now it's common knowledge. I shouldn't say common knowledge in the in our industry. It's common knowledge. There are heat shock proteins that are released in this sauna. It's an adapt your body's adaptive uh, response to stress, and you you get these heat shock proteins from heat from extreme cold from UV light and then possibly from uh, healing a wound or tissue remodeling and as you age your body makes less of these heat shock proteins and heat shock proteins have been known to activate the innate immune response to help inactivate viruses having said all of that again a sauna is very good for your overall immune system it's good for your health it's good for your lung health but it's not killing the coronavirus and linked to that, most people don't have saunas, so people say, well, I'll just take a hot bath. Again, hot baths are great. They say if you stay in a hot bath 140 degrees for about an hour, it's going to increase your heat shock proteins. But again, it is not going to kill the coronavirus. Again, I'm basing this all off Dr. Rhonda Patrick, but uh, she knows way more than I do, and I'm with her. Okay, the next one, vitamin C. So, you know, you take a emergency, your vitamin C tablets, just... A, there is no data again supporting that vitamin C not enough data I should say that vitamin C is uh, killing this coronavirus now there are there are groups that are working on this there's people doing some tests now but they're using high-dose intravenous vitamin C so they're not uh, popping a vitamin C tablet they're using IV and IV it, it has much more viable uh, bioavailable vitamin C I think it's 70 70 percent higher bioavailability because it's bypassing your intestinal absorption so it's not going through your gut it's going right into the bloodstream now there is anecdotal anecdotal evidence that's saying that having high dose intravenous vitamin C will shorten a hospital stay by three to five days but at this point right now on April 17th 2020 there is not enough information to tell you that yep 
all I got to do, I get this, I go to the hospital, they pump me up with uh, liquid IV, and I'm good. No, that's not the case. Okay, melatonin. We ta- I've talked about melatonin a bunch of times on our sleep podcast. Yes, lack of sleep negatively impacts your immune system. And yes, melatonin controls inflammation. It acts as both an activator of the immune system and an inhibitor of inflammatory and immune responses. Yes, it does that. But there is no data to support that it will lessen or prevent the severity of the coronavirus. So, yes, keep sleeping. I'm recommending to people now, don't just get six hours of sleep during this uh, pandemic. I've been trying to get nine or ten hours to get my immune system to its peak. But it is certainly not going to be, right now, there is no data to suggest that this is the thing that's going to take us out of the pandemic. The next thing is polyphenols. Polyphenols. So polyphenols are things that are found in foods like uh, blueberries, raspberries, broccoli, spinach, apple, and mango. And there is there's anecdotal data. So I w- again, I'm not going to say this is going to take you out of the pandemic. There's anecdotal data stating that it increases levels of ACE2. Cool. So is it going to cure uh, the coronavirus? I don't know. What I'm saying is... This is still pretty healthy stuff, right? So I'll give you a couple of examples from multiple food groups. So where can you get polyphenols? Well, in vegetables, you can get a, get it from artichokes and potatoes. From fruits, you can get it from grapes and cherries. From whole grains, you can get it from oats and rice. From uh, nuts and legumes and seeds, you can get it from black beans. From fats, you can get it from virgin olive oil. From beverages, you can get it from coffee, tea, and for Mrs. Mahoney's favorite, red wine. And for spices, you can get it from peppermint, ginger, cinnamon, and garlic. And this is not an all-inclusive list. So, yeah, if you sit in a hot sauna, and you're taking your vitamin C, and you're getting some melatonin pills, and you're eating your polyphenols, it's not going to make you immune from or combat the coronavirus to the point that you have uh, no, no symptoms at all. But this will make you a very healthy person. So this will make you, this will bolster your immune system regardless if there is or isn't a pandemic. So I'd recommend all of that stuff. Get your 10 hours of sleep. Eat right. Keep yourself healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely do that. What I'm saying to you is that, also saying to you, is that there's not enough evidence out there that says this is the answer to all of life's problems. And if we just did that stuff, either you're not going to get the coronavirus or the symptoms are going to be severely lessened. Okay. Now I want to talk about zinc because it is uh, something that people talk about. Coldies, Zycam, all right. Well, they talk about zinc in, uh, in combination with some other drugs that are coming out that I'll talk about ne- later. But when I was, we'll talk about zinc first. So zinc stops the replication of viruses. But when I say zinc, I mean the zinc ion, the zinc cation. So zinc, the zinc cation, not zinc, not the zinc you're popping in your mouth, but the cation, it's a positively charged ion and it can't get inside cells without a transporter. So that zinc ion needs something called an ionophore to get it across the membrane. And this next word I'm about to say might pop into your head. There's something called chloroquine, which actually is a zinc ionophore. So this is why there are hospitals using, some are using chloroquine in combination with zinc as a form of treatment for the coronavirus. Now, Let's take a look about zinc just by itself for a second, not the ionophore, because then we'll get into chloroquine. So if you're thinking about coldies, uh, if you're thinking about Zycam, there have been studies showing that it has reduced the duration of cold symptoms. There's been studies showing that it hasn't reduced the duration of cold symptoms. So 
I really don't know. It's something that we, we do take in the Mahoney house. I'm a big fan of Coley's. I'm a big fan of Zycam. When I feel the onset of a cold and, and my wife swears by it, I'm not saying that any of this is uh, medically correct, but at least in my mind, it does shorten the time period that I would have the cold. For me, again, anecdotally, I feel like I have less than if uh, I don't take it at all. Now, zinc does reduce inflammation in the respiratory tract, which is maybe why it explains some of the decreased symptoms when people have a cold or during the trials that was were mentioned before. Okay, so let that that was zinc. Now let's talk about chloroquine. More specifically, let's talk about hydroxychloroquine, because if you've read certain articles, there are things being done with hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin that are actually helping people. But let me let me take a step back. So. Hydroxychloroquine is the less, less toxic version of chloroquine. All right, it's less toxic. Toxic. <laughs> wow, I'm struggling. It's the less, to less toxic version of chloroquine. It's three times more potent at combating the coronavirus than chloroquine itself, and it's it has been used in the past to treat rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and malaria. So that's why people were scientists were eager to use it because it's already been tested. Now there are definitely some safety concerns with with it in certain people. It can cause ventricular arrhythmia and that could lead to sudden cardiac arrest. But it does have anti-inflammatory properties, right? So it could uh, decrease the production of these cytokines. You hear about these cytokine storms. So this is why it's being used. And also understand that this chloroquine it is an ionophore for zinc. Now, we don't have enough information to say that hydroxychloroquine is 100% working all the time. There's been some small studies that show some stuff, and there's been some lar there are larger studies that are currently being performed right now in the United States and China. But here's what we know from some small studies. Uh, in one study, when they used hydroxychloroquine alone, 70% of the people were cured. And then when they used it in combination with azithromycin, 100% of the people were cured. And what's azithromycin is an antibiotic used uh, with a couple, with, I shouldn't say a couple, <laughs> to treat many different infections caused by bacteria. All right, so I think it's used uh, against Ebola. So when you take azithromycin plus hydroxychloroquine, you now have, at least in this one study, 100% of the people were cured. There was a second study where they worked on 80 people and in combination of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, 78 of the 80 people were cured. So it's, I'd say it's promising, but there's not enough. They, we need more data. We need double-blind studies. We need more information to 100% uh, definitively say this is this is the thing. Now, is there a lot more out there that people are experimenting with? Yes, I have chosen to stick my conversation. Uh, mostly to what the things Dr. Rhonda Patrick talked about. Again, mostly because A, she's super smart, and also, if you want more information on this, please go listen to her podcast. So with that, if you're taking things from this, one, you know who are the people, at least in her podcast, that have been identified as those who are more susceptible to have severe impacts from the coronavirus. Two, you have a better understanding of how the coronavirus interacts with ACE2 receptors and how ACE2 receptors are impacted by vitamin D levels. And then three, with your now newfound knowledge of ACE2 receptors and vitamin D, now you know why certain people are actually more impacted than others. And you notice that every single one of those people, it either had to do with ACE2 receptors or vitamin D levels, and then their impact on the ACE2 receptors. And then at the end, we cleared up the, uh, some of those myths. Yes, a sauna is healthy. Sleeping is healthy. It's healthy. Vitamin C, 
good for you. Melatonin, good for you. Polyphenols, good for you. Don't not do them. Keep exercise. Keep, your, keep yourself as healthy as possible, mentally and physically, to help get you through this time. But uh, don't think that you know, if you're just chewing on peppermint all day that you're going to be able to beat the coronavirus and you're cured and you're free to go outside and you can do whatever you want. All right, people, I hope this was informative. Again, I'm going to reiterate it. Reiterate, I am not the master on this topic. I feel like I'm just doing my part to simplify something and spread the word to at least my crew. Thank you very much.